0: Welcome in to 2 for 1 Drafts. Austin Gale here with Mike Renner ready to rock and roll on a lovely Wednesday morning here in Cincinnati. We got off-ball linebacker takes for you here on the 2 for 1 Drafts podcast this edition. We got 12 off-ball linebackers in our current top 50 and another 12 off-ball linebackers in the PFF 2020 NFL Draft Guide 24 24- 150 said yeah. 12 in the top 50. Oh, sorry. 12 in the top 150. Yeah, I thought I said oh, that. Yeah. 12 in the top 150, another 12 in the 2020 NFL Draft Guide, which is made available to all Edge and Elite subscribers. Very excited about that. Definitely encourage you to grab your copy, but this is a sneaky good off-ball linebacker class, and I think the Combine proved that. I think going in, I wasn't high on it. I think we had Troy Dye as our number two off-ball linebacker, and even he had some limitations, but Patrick Queen, Kenneth Murray definitely stepped up. I think there's some an interesting day Two option in Willie Gay Jr., who kind of lit the combine literally on fire. Uh, uh, no, not literally, but yeah. Okay, no, not literally. You can't really bring that up with Willie. Gay. I was gonna say, yeah, of <laughs> him of all people, could. All right, but also I think Malik Harrison tested better than people expected. I, I think there's a lot of a lot to like in this linebacker group, and I think to to to, to start with these off-ball linebackers. To start with these off-ball linebackers, I want to bring up kind of your overall evaluation of this off-ball linebackers right now, because I think it is a difficult position to evaluate in today's NFL. It's also a position that's drastically changing. It's low on the positional value chart. Absolutely. Give me your take overall on what you're looking for in a good off-ball linebacker at the next level. I will say this class has very much grown on me.
1: The more I've watched it, the more I've watched some of these guys and what they bring to the table. And obviously the combine, I think, showed that with how athletic a lot of the top of the class is. And I think that's, uh, I was actually asked on a podcast yesterday, which position has uh, scouted has been scouted differently over the past, you know, decade or whatever. And I think linebacker has has very much changed what you expect out of your linebacker. What, what you need them to be able to do in the NFL has completely changed in the past 10 years. And and it's because of what offenses are doing. Now the rise in three wide receiver sets becoming base personnel meaning you have to be able to match trips and you have to be able to match quads, you know, with, uh, with your base personnel, sometimes with your nickel defense means that these linebackers have to be not just between the tackles players, but they have to be able to cover the slot. If they get matched up with a wide receiver, one-on-one or running back split into the slot. Yeah. Like that, you can't have that be a mismatch. You can't, you have to be able to have an answer for everything. The offense is going to possibly throw at you without you know completely subbing and you know taking a guy off the football field, so the guys that have that ability that can you know kick out to the slot and not look out of place uh, can play in space, can execute a different coverage role than just spot dropping those are the guys actually adding value in today 's NFL, not the guys who are you know downhill dumpers there 's room for that still mm-hmm. in certain schemes. you can still have that guy in your defense, but versatility is at an all time high at the position, so that 's what You'll see in our draft board.
0: I'm going to add that a little bit. I, I, I think speed, athleticism and versatility has become so much more important for the off ball linebacker position over the past five years. I think speed, athleticism and versatility. And for that reason, you these, literally just repeated what I said. You well, I think it. I wanted to sum it up. Okay, I wanted okay. to sum it up oh, there, there. Thank you. No. But I think with that being no. said, weight is not as important. You can, you can be a two hundred and 25 pound linebacker, tour and 30 pound no. off ball linebacker in the NFL and have success. And I think, that's what we're seeing with these guys. I think we no longer want thumper mentality, these tough guys who like wear neck rolls. like That's not a necessity anymore. What you need to do is be able to, like you said, cover the slot, cover running backs in coverage, and do different things in coverage.
1: Explosiveness is more important than purely weight. Like The ability, like you can take on blocks if you're 220, but explosive. Yeah. And so I think the, the guys who were coming in the league a decade ago at around 225 and playing strong safety are now linebackers. Cam Chancellor comes into in the league now. He's a linebacker. He's not safety. You're not thinking about playing that guy deep. You're playing him around the line of scrimmage. He's you know going to be considered a linebacker. So that's where that that to me has been one of the things we didn't, we were kind of behind the curve on, to be honest, at PFF in terms of realizing... If
0: you bring up the Deion that, Jones and yeah, yeah. Deion so Jones... The
1: Deion Jones, like, not realizing that, hey, this is a coverage position. Uh, some NFL teams were very much ahead of the curve. We were behind the curve.
0: on For, that, for those who don't know, who haven't followed PFF for a while or listened to the previous podcast, Deion Jones I think was, what, 250 yes. on our draft board coming out in that draft class? And obviously <laughs> he's become so much of a better player. Came in at 219 pounds or somewhere in that. Thought he was undersized, whatever it may be. He can't play the run at the next level, but he's obviously Developed into kind of this new age modern off ball linebacker. When healthy, I'd argue one of the best off ball linebackers in the NFL right now. All right, let's dive into this 2020 class. So, a lot of names to bring up. Like we said, 24 total off ball linebackers in PFS 2020 NFL Draft Guide available to Edge and Elite subscribers. But Isaiah Simmons, the top guy here. Clemson offball linebacker, safety, defensive playmaker, whatever you want to call him. He's the top linebacker in this class. It's not even close. I don't think there's much more we can really say about this guy. Everyone knows this guy's the real deal. Yeah, when you summed up my point of versatility,
1: uh, athleticism, whatever the last point was, I forget. That's Simmons. I mean, that is that is who he is. I mean, that's what he's been at Clemson. That's what he's, you know, what they asked him to do there and he executed it at a at a very high level, elite coverage grades the past two seasons. So, yeah, I think you saw the freak athleticism at the combine, and again, a lot of guys, a lot of guys are freak athletes. Not a lot of guys it translates to the football field the way it does and has already for Isaiah Simmons. So, to me, he's in that Derwin James tier uh, of defender where it just I, I I don't know, if Swiss Army knives, quite the right term. Uh, that, that's more like I feel like that's more for like safeties who can do it all. This guy's. The modern, the prototype. I think Mm -hmm. prototype is the best. He he is what you want at the defensive to match up with modern offenses in today's NFL.
0: I would agree 100%. Isaiah Simmons this past year earned an 88.5 overall grade, the 7th ranked figure among off-ball linebackers, and he also earned an 88.9 overall grade in 2018, all while playing over 750 defensive snaps both years. I think that's good production, good sample size, 6'4", 230 pounds. I mean, this guy brings everything you want to the table, tested very well. I think you've said it. I think you sum him up best. He's the perfect addition to a defense for the modern NFL defense, to Defend modern offenses, and,
1: and Clemson used and to their credit utilized him in a role like that, to where like it helps you disguise and, and like to match up with motions and things like that, where he would go from covering the slot to then motioning inside uh, and the uh, receiver motions across formation. He comes inside and plays linebacker, and there's no. You've not, you know, jeopardized the sort of you haven't had to change coverage call. You haven't had to really do anything, uh, you know, to your defense. So he is that's what he brings to the table. And it's, it's a special skill set
0: right now. Isaiah Simmons is the seventh ranked overall player on PFF's big board. The linebacker one in this class at 40, the 40th best player in the class is Patrick Queen of LSU. He's jumped up quite a bit in this pre-draft process, had a good combine, earned a 74.6 overall grade across 780 defensive snaps this past year. Brings range, quickness, I think. I I think he's aggressive in the box. Patrick Queen really blew up against Clemson in mm-hmm. that in that championship game. I think there's a lot to like about this kid as well. Yeah, six stops in the
1: national championship game, and a lot of them, you know, if he doesn't make the stop, they're big place. Like, his t- tackling, you know, Travis Etienne in space the way he did is difficult. It, it, it's not just... It, while we don't give extra credit for that in the grading system, the fact that you're going up against probably the most dynamic running back in the country from a scouting perspective, I can say, Hey, that was a way better play than the plus one. We just gave him. That's, you know, it's a plus two. That's a play that just other linebackers aren't making. And I think you saw that from queen fairly regularly. And it was a guy who we were low on because I mean, he didn't even start at the beginning of the year and we, we trust sort of grading and sample sizes. So if you look good and it's, yeah, it's been like five or six games, we're going to wait until, you know... Michael Divinity started over that, him, correct? Exactly. Michael Divinity was st- starting over him until he left the team there at LSU. So it wasn't even a starter at the beginning of the year, but then down the stretch, how much he developed. And again, like I said, the National Championship game was just excellent football. Uh, still not going to be your quintessential, you know, not going to be a great run defender, more in the Deion Jones mold of he'll make plays on wide runs, but between tackles, eh, might not be there, but he does have the explosiveness. Uh, he's not going to be a liability in that regard. And he's not even 21 years old yet. So this is not
0: a guy who's... A finished product by any means the arrow is pointing upward so right now 40th ranked on pffs board this guy is viewed largely as a first round prospect by many where are you right now why are you not putting him into that first round conversation that's a good question i mean he's
1: probably like a late first round to be honest for me because i think it's deep i think it's deep class. Like there's a lot of guys who uh you know maybe aren't in our top 32 who i still would not
0: hate taking in the first round and, and he's probably one of them at 40. All right, let's move to Kenneth Murray, the Oklahoma off-ball linebacker who's 43rd ranked on PFF's board, the linebacker three in this class. Another guy that's risen a ton mm, in this he process. Is <laughs> he has risen. Kenneth Murray, a 68.3 overall grade in 2019 across 820, 829 defensive snaps. Not, not the grading profile that we like from him. I think you have concerns about his instincts, specifically dropping into coverage, turning his back to the line of scrimmage. I think that's where he kind of gets lost in the sauce. So that's the thing. It's like he doesn't. In that Oklahoma defense, he wasn't
1: he wasn't turning or running with guys. He is, you know, dropping to a spot and then he's playing only forward. Mm-hmm. And that's just that's that's a small part of what you're going to see in the NFL. And NFL offenses, like depending, on, they're going to turn defense, you around. Yeah, gonna, you're <laughs> going to have to follow the tight end up the seam. You're going to have to do things like that. And he just wasn't asked to in Oklahoma in their defense. So it's just a different role that he might play in the NFL. Now there, there are defenses that that is a role. Like he might just do that. Um, and, you know, Green Bay has been a, a popular sort of uh, mock draft spot for him. And, and that's what Blake Martinez basically did in their defense this past year with as much man coverage as they played. He's just that whole player looking to or either picking up running backs out of the backfield and always coming forward. And with Kenneth Murray, that's what he does. Nothing forward. wrong with being a whole player, though. <laughs> I, I consider us both whole players. <laughs> but we, we, he's explosive in a straight line, uh, maybe the most in this entire draft class after Isaiah Simmons. Just when he comes downhill, if you watch the Baylor game, the Big Twelve championship game, like he flies, he covers in a blink of an eye, gets into the backfield in a hurry. So, and he's great at things like that. The missed tackles, the angles, he gets a little out of control at times. Like he definitely does. But again, another guy who's only a junior coming out, uh, still young, like the natural talent that is definitely there.
0: I mean, it's hard not to fall in love with a rocket coming downhill. I mean, with Ke- with Kenneth Murray, what he does with the ball in front of him when he's playing the ball in front of him is special. He has that burst. He has that explosion that like we said at the top of the podcast, that you wanted off-ball linebacker now. He can explode through blocks and things like that. I think Kenneth Murray, a valuable player in this class. I think he has a very good chance, along with Patrick Queen, to sneak in to the back end of the first round, especially because, and I didn't, we didn't bring this up, but there aren't a ton of good off-ball linebackers in the NFL right now. Luke yeah. Keekly just retired. I'd say Bobby Wagner is easily the best in the nfl right now with luke keekley retired but after that it's, it's pick and choose there aren't you know darius leonard is obviously up there i think you mm-hmm. could throw joe schober into the mix blake martinez maybe i don't know like again off ball linebackers not a rich i wouldn't position. throw blake martinez in i wouldn't mix, throw blake <laughs> martinez in there either but I, I guess it's just it's not a rich position like who yeah. would you call i mean who would you even call like some of the like the second third best linebacker in the nfl right now i know
1: it's i mean so you got bobby wagner i mean dion jones when healthy uh, what's his, Levante David down in Tampa Bay? Maybe the Devons take a step forward next year. I don't know, but like uh, the Saints, uh,
0: got, a, the Saints yeah. player, the, the veteran. Um, I'm losing, I'm losing him right now. But he, I think he's played very well this past year. Absolutely. I can't think, can't remember his name off the top of my head. But he yeah, played yeah. very well this past year. But another veteran that awful. I'm great but, content, but, <laughs> but again, but again, I will say it's not a rich position in the NFL. De Mario Davis, right now, yep, DeMario Davis. All right, Troy Die of Oregon comes in at 48. Very close. These three's very close on PFS Big mm-hmm. Board. Patrick Queen. Kenneth Murray and Troy Die of Oregon. A little bit of an older prospect compared to these other two. Has earned very good grades over the past three years, though. An 81.1 overall grade in 2017, 80.7 in 2018, and 77.4 in 2019. All while playing over 750 defensive snaps each year. And he played this past year with a broken hand. Yes. And like a big boxing glove <laughs> over that hand. And I think he still had impressive production for those injuries and across such a large sample size. Yeah, and so he's...
1: So I talked about Murray only going forward. You see Die having to turn around the scene flat, cover wheel routes, that sort of thing. He's very smooth, very long, not a, not as explosive as the guys ahead of him on this list. He does not have that level of, of athleticism. So that's a bit of a concern. That's that's the worry there. 231 pounds, but like he probably played more around 220 at Oregon. Was very does look very slightly built, but I, I just love how, how smooth his hips are in coverage. Uh, he's a guy who I think can very— can cover tight ends at a high level in the NFL, uh, has, brings that to the table, and just a very sound all-around football player. So you're, you're chasing the high end with guys like Queen, Murray, Simmons, and, and obviously Simmons has already been you know, an elite player in his own right. So you're chasing the high end with Queen and Murray. I think, die you know what you're getting. It's a solid coverage linebacker. You're never going to get Deion Jones. You're never going to get elite physical traits, but you get a guy who no, more... Uh, kind of like that Joe of like He's just good at football mm-hmm. all around. <laughs> and has been productive over the course of his college career.
0: I would encourage everyone to go back and watch Troy Dye play coverage because I, I think the hip fluidity is underrated. This guy can turn around and go make a play. There's a play against Stanford or Stanford tight end that he makes great at the catch point. Another one, he makes an interception against Utah with the, with big, the big glove. Yeah. <laughs> it's kind of absurd. I think his, his instincts are underrated. I think you say it again. like This guy's just a good football player, and I think that shows up in coverage. And when it shows up in coverage, it has a ton of value at that position. Because like we said, there aren't a ton of good off-ball linebackers in the NFL right now. I think Troy Dye fills a need for a lot of teams mm-hmm. in the NFL right now. Let's jump to App State's Akeem Davis Gaither, a guy who played more of a edge defender type of role yeah. at, a, at App State and, and played one well. I mean, his pass rush productivity was very good. Earned a 76.5 overall grade across 886 defensive snaps this past year. Uber-athlete. I think he had to he had to eat his way to hurt 220 pounds or whatever he weighed in at the combine But I think he's that lighter build that has a ton of athleticism a ton of explosion still very raw Learning the position didn't face great competition at App State But I think from a tool standpoint this guy brings a lot to the table.
1: Yeah, didn't test out the combine but The explosiveness like I'm not too worried about what the testing numbers say like he, he showed it there He showed it at the senior Bowl. He showed it one-on-one reps against you know offensive tackles. He just beating guys Uh, with his pass rushing moves. So I I, I don't really worry about him taking on blocks. It's just the role he played at App State is not really like it was. It was edge rusher, then spot drop into coverage, like very limited sort of skill set. And now he was very good, like at it. But yeah, that that motion right there, the up and down, (laughs) he's very good at it, but it's like limited competition, Projectable skill set. You just you worry about you know all of a sudden the role he's going to play in the NFL is vastly different against much better competition. So that's a little bit of a concern. Uh, And he is undersized, but he has all the athleticism to make it work. And I love the way he plays the game. Like he plays 100 miles an hour every single snap. No no plays off sort of guy. So Akeem Davis gets there right outside. You know that top group. Feel really good about that top group of linebackers. He's probably just right outside on the outside looking at I him. say nay to
0: the undersized. I like my off-ball he's linebackers size. like Akeem he's Davis. Appropriately sized. I think say. he's appropriately sized. I really do like. I mean, we were talking to him at the Senior ball. He said he's eating like over six thousand calories a day to get to two twenty. Mm-hmm. But I like that. I mean, this guy's kind of rocked up too. I think he, he not a lot of bad weight on Akeem Davis Gaither. He's going to have to learn a ton in the NFL. But from what I you know from talking to him and hearing him at the combine, I think this is a guy who's smart enough to learn at the next level. Continue to develop his skill set. All right let's jump to willie gay jr your guy mississippi state off ball linebacker 68th ranked on pffs big board could rise even more beyond that i I really do like willie gay at the top at the top of day two i'm strongly considering him i don't see i don't see him as a day three guy this is not a day three prospect he brings day one talent day one explosion with some day three off-field concerns that's the thing it's like he's been as high as like 30 something on our board like
1: he's He's that, that's the level of talent is his first round talent. Yeah. Like if, if you actually saw a full season from this guy this past year of kind of what we saw in that limited, you know, five game, five, four and a half game sample size we did see from him, I'd probably, he'd probably be in the first round. If he didn't have any off field, he would be a first round guy, but it's like the off field serious. Like you can't get to spend eight games training on chem, chemistry tests uh, and not take that into account. You can't punch your quarterback and not have that taken into account in your draft <laughs> eval. It's just. Uh, and, and you can't, you know, be as freaky as he is, and only have, you know, and never have started. Like, why was he not starting at yeah. Mississippi State? Still, still a sub package guy. Uh, even though I don't really have too many, like, I like the way he p- plays the run, I saw, thought he looked a lot better in that regard this past season. So, yeah, I mean, he's a freak. Like, he's a certified freak athlete at the linebacker position. Uh, If Isaiah Simmons didn't exist, he'd be getting a lot more pub for how freaky his numbers were.
0: I mean, his combine was almost better than Isaiah Simmons in some ways. I mean, he he tested very, very well at the combine. I want to dive into the off-field concerns a little bit. Just get specific. I talked to him. He said he cheated on a chemistry test. Didn't give me a ton of detail after that. I asked him why. He said it was a tough class. What do you want me to do? But then I I talked to some other people. Apparently, he had his tutor take the test for him, which is always a bold strategy. But I would say more advanced than peeking on another person's paper or something along those lines. I like that he's (sighs) learning. looking at other... But I, I have a take. It's like,
1: who's not going to notice this 240-pound guy? Fair. I don't think he has a doppelganger. You know, it's I like, don't
0: think this guy... There's a no, There's the, not another Willie Gate Jr. I, I think say, say, it might be Isaiah like, Simmons.
1: <laughs> unless his tutor was like... One of the other linebackers at Mississippi State. You're not going to get it confused. Hot Willie take.
0: Game. Willie Gay Jr.'s tutor is a day three prospect <laughs> in the NFL. He should have tested at the combine. But then I looked in the altercation. It was with Garrett Schrader, the, the quarterback at Mississippi State. It, it, it's listed as an altercation. Some have said he punched him in the face. I, I, I'd like to see the details on that. But again, the chemistry test stuff, interesting. But if you did listen to the Move to Six podcast with Daniel Jeremiah, which he'll be on the podcast later in the show if you are listening on um, the audio version live YouTube won't get that, but on the audio version you will get Daniel Jeremiah uh, But Daniel Jeremiah on the podcast did say that in the interviews with the NFL teams Willie gay impressed yeah. their character concerns did not come up in those interviews It sounds like he just made a couple bad decisions punched the wrong guy getting to his combine though six foot one Turn 43 pounds 32 and five-eighths inch arms ten and a half inch hands a 40 yard dash Which is absurd? 39.5 inch vertical jump and a 136 inch broad seven oh eight three three cone. I mean, this guy really did test off the charts across 11, the board. 11.4 yeah. broad jump. <laughs> you know, we got that wrong the other day. When I
1: did. I saw, like, yeah. I saw that. I saw
0: that. I'm bad at math. Here we are. Um, but yeah, Willie Gay
1: Jr. Yeah, I mean, those are like, that's all time numbers. If, if, like I said, if Isaiah Simmons didn't exist.
0: My, my comp for him, a joking comp, was Bobby Wagner. That's bad at chemistry. But I feel like the, athletically, they tested very similar. I mean, they're rare athletes, both yeah. both very similar in that regard. All right, let's jump to the next off-ball linebacker. Enough Love for Willie Gay Jr. That's assuming, though, that Bobby Wagner is
1: good at chemistry,
0: which we don't know either. Fair. Maybe he didn't get caught cheating. Who took Bobby Wagner's chemistry test in college? I want to know. All right, Malik Harrison of Ohio State. He, he's a ways down. So, Willie Gay Jr., 68th on PFS board right now. Malik Harrison, 93rd. Six foot three, 245 pounds, earned an 82.6 overall grade. On tape, this guy looks like your quintessential thumper, but he shows up to the combine and tests very, very well for a guy of his size. Yeah, I think. And he was another guy who got in a
1: limited coverage role at Ohio State. It was often the spy in their defense. Not a lot of reps of him going backwards on tape, and that was fine. And I, I thought he was very good playing forward. And so, if you don't see a guy going backwards, I didn't realize he would have that six-eight-three-three three cone. Like I didn't think, I didn't know he could turn the way he did. That's that. hot. So I just, I want to see more. short of it. Yeah, he, he didn't. Yeah. yeah, he didn't look great necessarily at the senior bowl. I didn't like fall in love. I didn't necessarily see all that right away. And you don't get a ton of reps there, though. Obviously, in coverage, the linebacker is probably like it's less than ten the whole week. So that's not a great sample size to go off of. But I think with how well he plays the run, like he's one of the better run defenders at the linebacker position in this class. He can be a guy in your defense to where you know Bernard McKinnity type, where Bernard McKinney is not not going to be manning up with a lot of you know slot wide receivers that sort of thing if you're going to really stick them between the tackles every single play and not have the guy like we talked about the versatile guys who can go match out in the slot if that's what his role is if you have that role in your defense I, I think Malik Harris is a perfect fit for something like that
0: yeah weighed in at the combine six foot three 247 pounds a 466 40 yard dash 36 inch broad a 10 no no 10 two broad 36 inch vert uh, and a 6833 three cone that's where he really popped off having yeah. that change of direction 247 24- 47 pounds is, is very impressive for Malik Harrison. Moving down the list here, Davian Taylor, who went in the first round, by the way, went in the first round of PFF's analytics mock draft, which heavily weighs athleticism score at that position. Davian Taylor projects as a very good athlete at the next level. Has a track background. If you don't know the other background, I encourage you to read the draft guide or listen to this next bit here. But Davion Taylor did not play in more than one game in his high school career due to religious reasons. He was not allowed to play in athletic activities after sunset on Fridays or on the weekends. He only played in one game and it was because the sun set a little bit later that day and his mom let him roll, goes to Juco, finds his way to Colorado, still very raw, but has this kind of illustrious track background, showed out as an athlete at Colorado and now has a very good chance of getting drafted into the NFL.
1: Yeah, so we played at Colorado a lot of like the slot uh, overhang role that mm-hmm. doesn't really exist in the NFL, but it's good for you know showcasing coverage skills. And he has that like he he can run with slot wide receivers up the field. Four four nine forty at the combine, two hundred twenty eight pounds, sub 7'3", cone, like all the athleticism in the world. You see him close to the flat so quickly in the blink of an eye, like he gets up to full speed. The instincts, he's still a work in progress. In terms of how he how quickly he processes, if
0: it. he had good instincts, this would just be stupid. Exactly. Like what do we even like, doing? Yeah. This guy
1: learns he, faster than anyone here. Like he's he just is not necessarily like the whole. He didn't play you know football in high school makes a lot of sense. Like mm-hmm. the game is a little fast for him at the moment, but he can't teach can't teach two hundred twenty eight pound runners sub four or five. Like no. that's that's sort of special <laughs> movement skills that he possesses. And you know when he is in space and when he is like when it's natural reaction ability uh, sort of thing, when it's not thinking and processing, it looks good. Like he doesn't have, he doesn't have much of a miss tackle problem. Like he wraps up well in space. He looks like he plays a physical brand of football then at that point. So I think a, a scheme like the Colts, you know, some, some defense that's not asking you to do a ton of reads, that's just asking you to, hey, just react to what you're seeing. I think that's going to be the best fit for him in the NFL.
0: All right, let's jump to Jordan Brooks of Texas Tech, who has his name spelled on Texas Tech's website It's Jordan with a Y. Combine profile is Jordan with an A. No one will know. No one will find out. Weighted in at six foot, 240 pounds. Only tested in the 40 yard dash. Did a bit of a mic drop with a 454 four, 40 yard dash. Impressive for a guy his size. Talk to me about Jordan Brooks. This dude's a rock. Two, six foot, 240
1: pounds, and he might be like six, 7% body fat. Ooh. He is. This dude is filled out to the max right there. And. We talk about all these guys who are these versatile. Maybe they can play the run. Maybe they can't. This guy's going to play the run like four five four, four. He has the speed to go against wide runs. He can come downhill and blow up offensive tackles only six foot, but has almost 33 inch arms, which is like how you want to build a linebacker. Wow. a Short guy. So he has great leverage and then can also stack offensive linemen. So if we're talking about guys, you know, 20 years ago, this guy might be like a top five pick in the NFL really? with, how, with how well he's like, <laughs> with how explosive he is and how well he plays the run. Like he's a sure thing in that regard, in my opinion. Coverage is a little different story. Uh, I, I would bet, you know, his three cone and shuttle aren't going to match quite that 40 time in terms of repressiveness. He is a little stiff, like he maybe is a little too muscle bound at this point with how jacked he is. But, like, coming downhill, anything, kind of a Kenneth Murray light in terms of anything coming downhill is just going to get erased by this dude. He's he's pretty impressive in that regard.
0: All right, jumping to Logan Wilson of Wyoming. Came in at two, two 241 pounds, a 4 40-yard dash, a 707 three-cone, 32-inch vertical. I think some impressive athleticism. I also think it showed up on tape. Logan Wilson also great, has improved every year of his career. He's played over you know nearly 800 snaps all three of the past three seasons. Or each year of the past three seasons, an 81.3 overall grade in 2017, 85.5 in 2018, all the way up to a 90.6, the fifth best off ball linebacker in college football in 2019. Very impressed with how Logan Wilson has improved. This guy's kind of a, I'll call him a latent Van Der Esch light. Ooh. And, and so 241
1: pounds on the bigger side. And obviously, Van Der Esch was like in the 250s coming out, but like at a, as a bigger linebacker, not limited in terms of what he can do in coverage he can is very smooth uh does not look you know 241 pounds but moves like a guy probably about 10 to 15 pounds lighter very nimble uh and has the feel for zone coverages already has made a ton of plays on the football there at wyoming so a big fan of his game and again the athletic testing was good and that was kind of the thing is i was i wasn't sure he would be necessarily as fast as he was four six three forty though great time for him straight line like this guy all these guys we've mentioned here, I, I would be hard pressed to see any of them sneaking out of the third round at this point. And wow. Talk about what we hit or eight, almost a 10 guys, and all in the top three rounds. That's pretty rare for a linebacker class, I think.
0: Definitely. The linebacker class growing. Yeah. Absolutely growing, blowing up here. All right, Cam Brown, the Penn State off ball linebacker, who has a weird build. This guy is, is crazy. Six foot five, 233 pounds, 34 inch arms. Only ran a 4.72, 40 yard dash. I thought he would have tested better there, a 35.5 inch vertical jump for Cam Brown. I don't think the tape is great with Cam Brown, but he has some tools that I think are interesting mm-hmm. that teams will, will like And yes, he's. He played another guy who played the overhang
1: role in Penn State's defense often. Uh, he has has played out in space, but it's not, he was not as good out in space. And the guys we've mentioned before here, like he's, he's not, doesn't not look as natural there, but uh, I think he's the length and the size profile is very translatable to the NFL. He's a guy, you know, you're playing the zone, heavy defense, someone like, you know, the bills, you get a guy with that sort of length and he's just going to shut down passing windows uh, purely because, you know, you don't make a lot of guys six, five with 34 inch arms, you know, dropping into coverage that are, that have that ability. So that's what he brings to the table. Also, I I thought he was pretty good as a blitzer. Like I thought he took on blocks when it's him versus a running back, one of the better blitzers in this draft class. So I think that's what he brings to the table. And not again, not, uh, we just didn't see special on tape, so I didn't see a lot of high-level plays from him in coverage. All
0: right, I'm going to uh, lump these next two guys together here, David Woodward of Utah State and then also Marcus Baylor of Purdue because both of these guys, I think, have put good film on tape but have really struggled with
1: injuries. I right? was going to say, and I think you can even put it Francis Bernard in here too, the Utah guy. Okay. They're all kind of like similar vein in terms of somewhat limited athletes, not exceptional athletes, uh, very productive college football players who have kind of a question mark also on top of that. Marcus Bailey has multiple ACL injuries at this point. Woodward and has multiple pressure.
0: injuries across his entire body, I'm pretty yeah, sure. He's run through
1: a lot. Multiple injuries, and then he came to the combine, did not test well. Francis Bernard, 25 years old already, uh, had you know threatened to kill a cop sort of thing. That's not good. Threatened to kill a cop sort of thing?
2: Do you who care has, to elaborate? Who amongst <laughs> us
1: hasn't been in a situation where we threatened to... Uh, That's different than a chem- chemistry test. Actually, sure might not have been killed. I might have been just threatened to punch a cop.
0: Okay, Is it, does it compare to what Robbie Anderson told that cop? What? Do you remember when Robbie Anderson like said something about a cop's wife or something? I don't want to bring it up on the podcast. It's kind of aggressive, but go go look up Robbie Anderson cop discussion because it's also pretty fantastic. It doesn't sound like it was much of a discussion. Okay, but. so g- give me give me the skinny on that okay. word, word Bailey and Bernard. But all incre- like I said,
1: all incredibly productive college football players. Uh, you just worry about well Bailey. Like I'm not sure after a second ACL, who's ever going to necessarily be the same. You know, second ACL. I think it's the same one they tore again. It's just. That's a very serious, you know, very serious injury to happen twice. Worry about whether he can even stay on the field, and then if he's going to have that same change of direction ability. Uh, Woodward is just—he's a limited athlete. You're going to have to live with that. I thought he's a good tackler out in space. I thought he was, you know, had very good instincts for the position, but instincts only get you so far in the NFL. You still have to have some level of athleticism. And what he ran a four-eight at the combine, which is very—that's borderline that you could even see a football field anymore in the NFL. And then Bernard, already 25 years old stubby you know little t-rex arm kind of guy uh, at the linebacker you position. hate to see that at linebacker not a great athlete in his own right
0: but two guys he him. didn't look good at the senior bowl either i expected him to kind of have an opportunity to shine there and, and francis bernard did not rise to the occasion yeah so what was it woodward goes four seven nine and then
1: bernard went four eight one of the combine at 234 pounds.
0: And four please. eights, if we go back to the top of the podcast, you're running in the four eights as off-ball linebacker when I'm looking for speed, versatility, and athleticism. That's not cutting it for me. Peace. And you're old? I- I- I'm starting to get concerned. Exactly. All right. got to bring up the Robbie Anderson thing. So in January of 2018, he was arrested for reckless driving, resisting arrest, and eluding police, and threatening a public servant. And he's, he threatened to bang the cop's wife. And I quote said, nut in her eye. That was the Robbie Anderson conversation that we did have that I was referring to. Had to bring that up had to finish had to tie a bow drop a cherry on that one here let's move forward to the next off ball linebackers though Shaquille Quarterman of Miami Uh, what's your what's your take on
1: Shaquille Shaquille Quarterman is one of the best (laughs) blitzing off ball linebackers in this class let's switch gears he he comes downhill with reckless abandon uh, it's good length Uh, like I thought he could have legitimately made the switch to off or to edge rusher and that might actually be better for him than off ball linebacker because he's not good in space Mm mm-hmm like, he's not made a lot of plays one-on-one with ball carriers where there's, you know, two-way goes. He just doesn't have that level of athleticism. So he is he's a throwback kind of guy, which, again, there's a role for that in the NFL. Some teams, you know, you're a man-heavy team that uses your linebackers as blitzers. This is one of your guys. That's not going to be every team, though.
0: All right, jumping to Minnesota's Kamal Martin. Six foot three, 235 pounds listed according to Minnesota. Didn't play a ton of snaps this past year, only 484 defensive snaps, on. earned a 70.6 overall grade. Give me your opinion of Kamal. I expected more this year because he's pretty athletic.
1: He has the movement skills you want at the position. It just never, the light switch never flipped uh, with him. Was a guy who played. Uh, he played a lot of overhang earlier in his career. Played more traditional linebacker this past year, and that's kind of why I thought you'd see a big jump from him. Uh, was going from overhang to to the middle, and you know, being able to, being closer to the ball, making more plays on the football, and it just didn't happen. So, uh, another guy who has the athleticism, but the instincts really, really aren't there with Martin at the time. Uh, only you know, only eight combined pass breakups and interceptions over the course of his entire career. And he's been starting for over three years now. So, all
0: right, this next guy has just an absurd Profile absurd build five foot eleven turned twenty four pounds yeah. Kalique Hudson of Michigan. I mean this guy's rocked up though he showed up at the Senior Bowl this guy's cut to shreds. But twenty nine and three inch arms very undersized. I call this undersized mm-hmm. for the linebacker position. Ran a 4, 5, 6, 40 yard dash didn't even. I mean I want you to break into the four fours if you're coming in that undersized thirty three inch vertical uh, ten foot broad for Kalique Hudson. And I bring up him because I think he is one of the only players at the collegiate level since we started grading in 2014 that Earned a ninety nine point nine overall single game grade. I think mm. I, remember, I remember that coming up in yeah. a chat somewhere. But Kalika Hudson, you earned a seventy nine point two overall grade in twenty seventeen across seven hundred forty defensive snaps, and that's early in his Michigan career. You thought maybe he was starting to trend up, but his grade has dropped every year since then. I, I don't know what role he plays in the NFL, really.
1: That's the thing. So he played the Viper. The, I think it's what they call it at Michigan. The same role that Jabril Peppers did.
0: You say it with so much disdain, you Notre Dame homer. Yeah, I have to. Uh, you
1: played the the Viper role. <laughs> it's like a recruiting ploy to call it some dumbass name. But the Viper role in Michigan's defense, which was slot. And so he's covering the slot a lot, but like he's not good at covering the slot. <laughs> thing. He gave up over 80%, 80% of his targets each of the past two years covering the slot. And they play a lot of man coverage at Michigan. So like he was getting toasted. Mm-hmm. He, he was not good in man coverage playing the slot. So he is more of a linebacker size, at you know six foot two, twenty plus, um, and with those with that arm length though is worrisome about a guy playing in between the tackles at that size with that arm length. He really, of all the there's a, there's a thin line between versatility and tweener. Mm-hmm. He's tweener. He's the it's guy. a Sutton who's, Smith he's, conversation. Yeah, he's like Sutton who,
0: Smith is like, is he versatile? Can he do a lot of different things? Let's try him at fullback. Oh wait, no, he's just a tweener. I don't just, know if he yeah. can play. And that's the thing with Hudson,
1: he he just there's not a role for him necessarily in the NFL i think safety special
0: team is probably his best <laughs> special team safety i feel like he screams special teamer to me
1: yeah i can. mean
0: if he can if he can put the, you know put the mindset i think you have to have a certain mindset to be like mm-hmm. a michael thomas not the new orleans saints receiver but the giants uh, like special teams ace for a long time i think clake hudson has that opportunity like even nick belore of the world yes the nick belore your best buddy nick belore all right let's jump to the next uh, off ball linebacker michael pinkney of miami florida 84.8 overall grade in 2018 that dropped to a 76.5 this past year reason for the drop-off and, and why so low in, in this off line. So case. he's athletic but not explosive and I think there's there's a kind of a key
1: difference there like he's And it's and sometimes some of its play style some of it's also just like what you got, you know Physically, but like I think in a straight line and like his hips are smooth as well But he's not a guy who as an undersized linebacker I think will be able to get by because taking on blocks uh, his hit power, that sort of thing you just you don't see explosiveness on his tape um uh, he's a late rounder at this point i depending on your scheme, I could like him over Shaq orderman okay. his teammate there at miami but uh, but depending on what you're asking him to do and he he could probably stay on the field on third downs and you're not gonna be it's not gonna be a, a nightmare scenario uh but that's he's just kind of. He's not an every-down player mm-hmm.
0: in my mind. All right, moving to one of my favorites in this class. Not for the reason that I think he's going to be very good in the NFL, but he has one of the best post-game interviews ever. I would encourage you to go listen to Evan Weaver after they played Arizona State, is I believe, what it was. Six foot two, 237 pounds, coming out of Cal, ran a 4.76 40-yard dash, which is a bit of a concern, especially at 237 pounds, a 7.02 three-cone, 32-inch vert. With him, I think you compared him to Scooby-Wright in the draft guide, yeah. I feel really good about that comparison. I also think Mark Herzlick is another guy. That comes to mind, just like just a high energy guy that will dip his face in black face paint to win for the team. Going to be really great, great in the locker room, that kind of guy. But I think in terms of actually adding value, special teams. I mean, I don't, I don't yeah, see him being no, like a very good off ball linebacker in the NFL. I think that game has passed his skill. Space is ugly, like him playing in space. It Talk about a guy who had a bad spent. senior bowl, yeah. and I, I know those drills aren't easy to win. I think those drills where you're going against a running back or a tight end in one-on-one coverage as an off-ball linebacker, you're kind of set to lose. Mm-hmm. He lost bad, though. Just the whole stopping and starting is ugly with him. Changing
1: directions, like going from one direction and having to go the other, it's ugly. If he can play between the tackles, kind of play phone booth guy, playing, yep. a, playing a port-a-potty guy, he's, mm. he's money. Like he, he's a, his tackling grades are good because when he gets his hands on guys, he tackles them. But he'll miss a lot of tackles where he just doesn't even touch a guy mm-hmm. because he's out in space and he just doesn't have that. Doesn't have that. The start
0: like stop himself. the juice the ex, the, the juice. athleticism they, that that strength oh no Whatever speed athleticism it. versatility you're not really <laughs> seeing it. He's the op, he's the opposite of speed <laughs> <athleticism> <laughs> Unfortunately. All right, Clay Johnson of Baylor, another uh, next on the list of this off ball linebackers. I'm a fan of this guy's game. Okay,
1: right? Clay Johnson, a little undersized guy, but. Uh, I thought he played well between the tackles. Old, on the older side, already a redshirt senior, but had himself a monster year this past year. Ninety-two, ninety-point-two run defense grade. Small mm-hmm. amount of snaps, but o- only... Uh, yeah, so I, I think he's... I think he has what it takes if you're drafting a day three linebacker. I think he has what it takes to become, you know, a three down guy in your defense. Gotcha. Now, I'm not saying he's necessarily going to be and he is on the smaller side, doesn't have great length, that sort of thing. There are limitations to his game, but I think he has the straight line speed, uh, has the physicality to play between the tackles. But again, the injury this past season um, and the years prior to this didn't look, you know, didn't grade out nearly as well. But there's something there. Uh, with
0: Clay Johnson. All right, next guy here. Potential sleeper, in my opinion, Dante Olsen of, of, not Minnesota, Montana. (laughs) Montana, the Grizzlies, the Grizz, if you will. His grade has improved every year of his career at Montana. Only played 224 defensive snaps in 2018, but it was a 74.4 overall grade. 987 defensive snaps this past year and 86.1 overall grade. Did not miss a ton of tackles. Small school guy, not going to get coveted for that reason, but there are some tools to work off here. He had a 42-inch vertical at the Combine. <laughs>
1: and ran a four eight eight forty. It doesn't make sense. That seems impossible to me. That you can be that explosive. Like his start had to have been atrocious. Air. Did he? Did he like maybe do he a just bear jumped. call to start? Maybe I don't he know. Jumped. Uh, he, he physically can't do anything without jumping. I, I don't know. Four eight eight is just awful though. And, and he's really. I mean, you watch his tape. He's not fast. It, that's what shows up in space. Uh, it's not great. But between the tackles, he's pretty sweet. Like he, he's great at taking on blocks. He can play really low, and he consistently dips underneath blocks to make plays. He's got a sweet really goatee. Sound tackler. Yeah, he's got a nice goatee, but he's
0: he's a forty-two inch vert and a hundred twenty-four inch broad like that. Those and he has seven-second three count. I mean, those, those are very. That's an interesting combine. It's a very interesting combine it's for one of the, an offensive of the It's
1: a unique combine that I've really never seen anything close to.
0: What is he? I don't know what to say about it. Honestly, I think the pro day will be interesting. Like, how close are those numbers to his pro day if he does retest? I doubt he jumps again, but maybe another 40-yard dash makes this thing a little bit more sense. All right, last off-ball linebacker before we cut to the interview with Daniel Jeremiah at the end of the podcast here is, is Michael Divinity of LSU.
1: I don't see it with Divinity. I don't know what Coach O was doing, mm-hmm. throwing him over Patrick Queen. I, I, at off-ball linebacker or at edge, I, I was not super high in him heading into this year. And when they did say, you know, he's switching to edge, I was like, okay, that's actually probably – or switching from edge to off-ball. I thought that was a good move for him. Did not look like a natural fit at off-ball linebacker. Still looked very limited in coverage. And then he ran a four eight four 4 at the combine. He, just, he reminds me of – um, Eric Stryker coming out of Oklahoma, where it was undersized. Everyone knew he had to move off ball. And then Eric Stryker ran like a four nine. And it's just like you never heard from him again. <laughs> that seems like, unfortunate. That seems like Divinity's career path here. All right. So.
0: That's going to do it for the live broadcast here on YouTube. But if you are listening on the audio version, you're going to hear next a interview with Daniel Jeremiah of NFL. We found out that he, you are. You should go go do it. Yes, because you should definitely interview. you should definitely go listen on the audio version of this podcast, but th- it was fantastic. Daniel Jeremiah was fantastic. Really do like what he did there. I mean, it, 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 he said Danny, his grandma used to call him Danny. He hated it. We kind of joked with him there. The the interview was good, but that's going to do it for the live version. Thanks again. It's been Asa Gale, Mike Renner 2 for 1 drafts. Joining the 2 for 1 Drafts podcast is NFL's Daniel Jeremiah. DJ, everyone calls you DJ though. Can we call you DJ?
2: Yeah, absolutely, All man. All right, there the, uh, the, only, the only one that has a different... Like, my grandmother uh, used to call me Danny, which I was never really fond of. But uh, uh, DJ and Daniel, I'm good either way.
0: I'm calling you Danny the rest of the podcast now. I got to join your grandma on forces here.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Any, anytime I do something you don't agree with now, you be like, yeah, nice, nice, nice ranking. Great and take, nice draft, Danny. <laughs> I, I still feel like I refer to you, though,
1: and my head is like, move the sticks, because way back in the day, my brother... Uh, I remember my brother I was in college. I was like sophomore in college. My brother showed me uh, your Twitter account. And he's like, there's this former scout on Twitter talking about, you know, Aaron Rodgers or whatever. And he's like, you should check him out, and move the sticks. And so that one's always stuck with me. And I, I kind of the first question I wanted to ask was what was like, what was going through? What was your plan when you first started on Twitter? I think it was back in like 08, 09. I think when you first started, what was like, what, what did you think was going to happen with that whole foray into the public uh, sphere?
2: Well, it was crazy um, because I had uh, now kind of give you some backstory here. So I had worked for ESPN for two years right out of college on the production side. So I was a, I was on the Sunday night football crew and I was a spotter up in the booth and I helped. Uh, I was an ENG producer, meaning I just went around with a couple camera guys and we shot scenics the days before the game. So. It's kind of a way to kind of get into that, that world. And my connection to that world was Chris Mortensen, who's been a family friend for a long time. Um, so going through that period, and then I end up, uh, I end up running to my brother's college roommate. My brother played at Liberty University and his college roommate was a scout with the Ravens. So then I go into scouting. Uh, he encouraged me to go into scouting. So I take a job at going to scouting with the Ravens. Then I'm with, uh, for four years, I go to the Browns, take a promotion there. And then after two years, they let the whole group go. So, I had 18 months left on my contract, and I had a choice of, uh, you know, I had some job offers inside the league or I could try and, you know, sit out for a year um, and explore the media thing. And so, I thought, you know, I'll give this media thing a shot. I've always wanted to do that. And Chris Mortensen encouraged me to get a Twitter page. I knew nothing about it. It's like brand new. <laughs> yeah. So, I have no expect-, no expect. I don't even know what this is. I don't know what it is. I'm like, well, I got to get a name, and uh, I think my name, like, was taken or something. Like, I couldn't, like, Daniel Jeremiah was there, so I'm like, well, I got to think. I kind of explored on the app, and I'm like, okay, so I got to think of something, like, catchy or creative that people will recognize, so I came up with Move the Sticks, which is basically from my old boss, Phil Savage. Um, he used to always, when we'd have scouting meetings, he would always tell us, you know, the key is you guys can appreciate when you're trying to wrap your arms around so many players over the course of a year, he said, the key is just, you know, continue to advance the ball every day. Don't worry about touchdowns. Just worry about first downs. It's a little bit every day. And eventually you get there. So I used that and kind of shorten that down to move the stick. So I create this thing. I mean, I, I going to fall. me. Nobody really know who I am. So, and uh, I, I, more had told me, you know, just tweet out some scouting stuff. Like there'll be some people that like fantasy football, but maybe we'll get in on that. So I, I don't think anything. I go on vacation. I'm with my family on a cruise ship in Alaska and I go to the internet cafe to check my email for like the first time in three days and I have like 1500 messages saying like, you know, new follower, new follower. I was like, Whoa, like what is going on? I, I'm sure I didn't know what happened. And I scroll, I finally see an uh, email from Mort that says, Hey, I just encourage people to follow you on Twitter. How about you tweet something? <laughs> oh man like, okay and that's uh, that's how that's how it grew that's how it started and it kind of grew from there
1: that was probably that was probably my brother and i we were probably one of those people because he, he was like you got to follow this guy <laughs> and he was showing me his old tweets that he would ask you questions at back in like 2010 about the packers because we were diehard packers fans. but he said uh, that he told great. me this today that i didn't actually remember but he said he used to refer to people on twitter as your tribe as the tribe and i don't know yes. And when did that start? Where'd that come from? Why'd you stop? Why'd you stop doing it?
2: Yeah, I know. So, this is a true story. So, I, I, you know, I'm out of the scouting thing at this time and I'm trying to build a following. And so, I do some homework and I'm like, okay, like, how do you grow a following like i don't even know how to get people to you know it's like you're collecting this group so there's a book called tribes by seth godin and uh i read it and i thought man this guy's really onto something how it's creating kind of a community instead of just one-way communication like if you can have topics of conversation and use like your tweets almost like a message board like here's a tweet and it's you know it's it's a it's a discussion point, and so then not only like, are you communicating with the people that are following you, what what inevitably happens is they, they start communicating with each other underneath your tweets, and it's it's like Twitter one hundred and one, right? We see it every day when you have to tweet something out and people fight it out in the mentions. <laughs> so it's kind of uh, that's that's why I came up with that you know tribe. You talked about kind of building your tribe, so I did that I did that for for quite some time, and then it became pretty mainstream where everybody was, was, was calling that. I'm like, nah, it's like I'm not like a president of some tribe. I'm like, nah, I don't think that. So the I'll chief. Go yeah. I'll go back off. Yeah, I was the chief. Yeah, I'll use the right reference there. Uh, I didn't view myself in that light, so I was like, yeah, I'll back off.
0: That is fantastic. I'd like to say Mike and his brother were original members of the tribe. Yeah. It sounds like it if, if at least. I maybe this was a little bit yeah. younger, but uh, that's awesome. I, I'd love to kind of pivot this next question to talk about your evaluation process. I'm sure it's. Developed a lot since you were a scout with the Ravens, Browns, etc. But now that you are in the role that you are now, what is your process going through these players? Maybe specific scouting reports and things like that. I'd love to hear like how you actually evaluate these players, what steps you go through.
2: Yeah, no, it's interesting. It's something that hopefully gets better with the process and evolves and grows every year. Uh, and truthfully, uh, and I've told you guys it's on the side, but you know, being able to incorporate the PFF Ultimate. Uh, with NFL Vision, which is, the, which is the program I used to watch all the tape, um, to be able to sort different, different things you know, more than I ever have in the past. I've had some basic capabilities in that regard, but uh, this year it's made, it, uh, it's made it really cool to be able to do some different projects. But the way I kind of I've, I've got to it, because the first, the first couple years in media, you know, you finish the season because we're still covering the NFL during the season and then I would transition into the draft. And I wasn't on the main. I wasn't on the main desk uh, during those cu- first couple of years, so I was off on a side desk. And so I was going to be able to chime in on players here or there, but wasn't going to be responsible for the whole draft class. So I would, you know, my goal at that time was, you know, 150 to 200 players, and I was doing it exactly like I would do it as a scout, which was, you know, try and get four games in on those guys and uh, and study those guys. Have all my notes in my notebook um and then i would translate those into an excel sheet and so i would just have the name you know the, the height weight speed and then uh, my grade and then and i would use kind of abbreviated uh, sentences and just kind of get some nuggets on each player so when he was you know if he was picked if i was called upon i could kind of give my little thumbnail scouting report inside that excel sheet uh, had to write up the top fifty, which you know, which I still do now. Which those reports get get published on NFL.com, But the rest of it is all in this Excel sheet. Well, then you know you start moving up to the main desk, and you start being you know, hey, this draft's going a lot deeper. I want to be able to comment on more players. So I go from you know watching one hundred and fifty to maybe two hundred players to doubling that to where I'm over four hundred players. Oh wow. Um, Get ready. So I'm like, there's no, there's just not enough time for me to go through and do four games on 400 players. Like it's yeah. it's not going to happen. So what I, what I've done is through, you know, I'll get through like the first two games. And if I deem that player at that point in time to not be, you know, for lack of a, a, a better phrase would be like, if he's, you know, sixth round would probably be that cutoff. fifth sixth round, if he's not better than a fifth or sixth round player, I'm, I'm putting him to bed. I've got two tapes on him now. If he blows up the combine, I'll come back and revisit him, and I'll do more work on him. Interesting. But those late, you know, those late guys, I'm giving him two two cracks at it, and then I almost kind of look at it like they've got to earn their third tape. And then then once we get into the better players, um, now now we can go anywhere from you know the quarterbacks. I'm gonna try and get through all their games um, for the top guys, and you know at least I'm getting through eight or nine games. And then you know the other guys that are in your top you know, 150 players, 200 players, you're getting at least that, you know, three or four games in on those guys. So trying to spend more time on the guys we're going to really talk about because in the draft, once we get to day three, in a later portion of day three, we're interviewing coaches. You know, we're, you know, we're talking big picture. We're going to go lots of picks where I won't necessarily get to chime in on each and every one. Um, so it just made more sense to pour more of my time into those top 150 to 200 players while also being able to speak about uh, those guys that are that are picked there later in the draft,
1: plus like the le- guys later in the draft, like sometimes there's not positives, you know, to say about these guys. You, you gotta. And you try to have to probably skew positive on NFL you know, media. You can't necessarily just bash a
0: guy in the seventh round. So that makes, <laughs> probably makes sense. Bashing late-day three picks, Mike, is not something Daniel's into <laughs> yeah. right now. But um, yeah. I, would, yeah. love yeah. to, I would love to even know more, too. I was listening to the Move the Six podcast, and, and I know you, you and Bucky both factor in a ton of background information. You do have a, a good amount of access, I'd like to yeah. say, with NFL media, being able to talk to coaches, other scouts and players and things like that to really heavily – you know, infuse background information and character type of stuff into your reports. How does that process, because you watch the games, you earn that third tape, you become this four tape type of player on, on your board. And then how do you go back and kind of comb through and, and factor in some of this background and character stuff?
2: Yeah. You know, it's, it's difficult because you're still, even though you have relationships, you can get a lot of information. You can't get the the same uh, type of information you could if you're inside a building uh, with those teams, but, you know, I'll give you an example. The quarterback that I was doing work on before the combine, um, you know. So I watch. I get my four four games done before the combine on him. I uh, I talked to a coach that was you know that was on his staff where he played. He gives me a lot of good information. I talked to two coaches that are in his conference that coached against him. So you know, give me the challenges of coaching against this guy. What did you think? How did he deal with different looks you gave him? Different things like that. So you get that perspective. Um, and then you go through, you know, before they work out, I've talked to three or four teams that have visited with him in the interview process as you go into the combine. So that, to me, I feel like I've got a pretty holistic view of this kid from inside the program, outside, within the conference, and then what he's, you know, the impression he's left with teams. So the personal choice that I make is that I'm just never going to, I'm never going to air dirty laundry on these kids. Mm-hmm. It's just not what I, I just, I don't feel right about it. I'm not going to do it. So sometimes I'll have guys that might move on my list and people will go like, what, you know, what happened? Well, I'm not going to tell you that, you know, his interviews are terrible. He struggled to learn. Um, there's a couple incidents at the school that haven't been reported that, that concern me, like those types of things happen and that uh, there'll be movement on my list, but I'm never going to air that kid out like that uh, in, in my role. I know other people, I know other people that, you know, post that stuff, and I'm not saying it's right or wrong just for me personally, I just, uh, I just didn't feel right about doing that. So uh, it can, it can impact my ratings but I'm never going to throw
1: that stuff out there. Gotcha. All right. Speaking of movement on your big board, you have, we're looking through your top 50 today, which I recommend anyone go check out a lot of interesting nuggets here, but our, the first big sort of difference from your board to ours here at PFF comes at number 14, Justin Jefferson, the LSU wide receiver. And one of the biggest reasons we're low on him is because a lot of his slot production was sort of, we, we believe it was kind of schemed in that LSU offense. And he hasn't faced a ton of press coverage. And I know Mike Mayock came out and said that, you know, one of the most important things for a college wide receiver translating to the NFL is how they deal with press coverage. Uh, And so what are your thoughts, I guess, on kind of the twofold thing about Justin Jefferson as a prospect, why you're so high on number 14 overall and how important is, you know, facing press coverage when translating to the league?
2: Sure. Uh, you know, one thing I'll say about that's interesting is, you know, Jerry Judy's got a counter-production side there in the slot, too. So you hear some of those, you know, obviously, Jerry, we've seen him with his releases, how explosive and how dynamic he is. So, you know, you're not as concerned about that. Which with guys like this, um, it helps when you have, you know, you kind of have guys that they remind you of in, in past and how they've moved and their movement skills. And, to I me, mean, Keenan Allen and him have similar movement skills, uh, what they can do at the top of the route. And I look at guys that haven't hit a ton of press coverage and you've got to beat it with your feet or your hands, right? You've got to be, you got to be able to be quick enough to beat them with your feet. You've got to be strong enough uh, to beat them with your hands. Now you got to at least be one or the other. I think this kid can do both. I think he's got play strength and I think he does have enough foot quickness that he'll be able to get out there uh, and, and get free off the line. So that doesn't really worry me. I think he's a real loose athlete, um, uh, I just think this kid has an unbelievable feel for getting up on the toes of corners, and then he can separate at the top of his route, which to me is, is kind of the way the game's played. So I, I would keep him in the slot. That's where I would put him. Um, I watch you know, doing those Charger games, seeing Keenan Allen each and every week and the damage he does in there. Uh, I think this kid is going to do a lot of the same
0: things. Yeah, and I, I think a quote that comes to mind is something that I read from Matt LaFleur saying with his slot receivers, they need to be smart. They need to understand how to run choice routes and find holes and zones. And with Justin Jefferson, he's up there with the best in that in the class yeah. with doing that. And maybe he doesn't have the movement skills of CeeDee Lamb and Jerry Judy, but what he does bring to the table is that, wit, is that stuff between the ears in addition to the loose hips like you kind of referenced. I think Justin Jefferson does bring a lot of that to the table. Another thing I want to mention and bring up to you, looking at your board, you have you know, George's DeAndre Swift at number 16, Clyde Edwards-Hilaire of LSU at 30. Where are you right now with drafting running backs in the first round and, and even better evaluating running backs as these first round caliber players? Because here at PFF, position of value is so important for us. And we kind of see more and more that the running back position becoming more replaceable, more of a day two type of position. Where are you right now with, you know, kind of valuing running backs as first round talents?
2: Yeah, I think it's a fascinating discussion and I'm always going to say, look, I get in terms of the importance of the position. Um, if there is a player with a similar grade, I'm going to take, you know, every day of the week, if you have a need at a tackle, or, you know, offensive tackle, edge rusher, corner, um, obviously quarterback, all those, all those positions, if it's close, are going to be rated and going to be selected ahead of running backs. The way I look at it is, at some point in time, you're just a better football player, a much better football player than the other options that I have. And I'm not against taking a running back in the first round, provided you have some of those other pillars in place. You know, If you've got your quarterback, you've got your edge rusher, um, you've got your tackle or your tackles offensively, and this player's there. Um, it's a four- or five-year commitment for me. I'm not into re-signing these guys in terms of big-money deals on second contract. That's where I've been with a lot of folks on the running back thing. I, I, but I do think there is value. If you have a team that's ready to win, to be able to assert that running back so he's not wasting carries on bad teams, but when you can drop him in and you can get elite production out of him for four or five years – I do think there's there's still value for them there as a first round pick. My my issue would be more so with whether or not you're going to pay these kids a equivalent amount of money uh, on their second contract.
1: Yeah, running backs also like they peak r- quickly. You know, yeah. it's year two, year three, they are at their top. So. Uh, we want to get into some more of the guys that you might be lower on here. Yeah, we're gonna we'll to call this segment.
0: We're gonna call this segment Danny's takes. Actually, <laughs> the the guys that you're lower on than maybe compared to what PFF has. I'm gonna bring, I'm, I'm gonna bring up three names and we'll kind of take one each individually. Yep. But Julian Aquara, the edge defender of Notre Dame, he is high on our board right now, not inside your top fifty. Also, Jalen Rager on that list, and Jordan Elliott of Missouri. Let's start with Aquara though. I think specifically, I know Mikey wanted to bring this up. Julian Aquara, the edge defender of Notre Dame, is an athletic freak. A Bruce Feldman's freaks list type of guy, and but he's not getting the same hype as Caleb on Chason, who's another guy that has similar. Is going to have I don't I know he didn't test the combine, but going to have similar athletic ability. Compare those two players for me, Aquara and Chason, and maybe why Aquara is a tier below Chason. Sure,
2: uh, to me Aquara and I like a lot of things about him. You know, stand him up on the edge. He's got he's got big punches. He flashes he flashes a little bit of power but I thought overall play strength was not good. He gets tossed and thrown around at the point of attack too often for me. That I, I worried about that a little bit. And he plays really upright and high. Um, so to me, I didn't see when you compare him with Jason. Jason's got more snap, more power, and more twitch in, in his hands. Um, I think both guys can get off the ball. I think Jason plays with with, uh, with better leverage. Um, so that to me was a little bit of the difference there between those two. I just if you get a little bit more. You get a more more explosive, more more physical player uh, with Jason. I I I see the production. I get all that with Okwara, um, but I was just when I finished watching him, and maybe some of it was some of the hype I had heard about him. I just wanted to see a little bit more power, a little more strength, and not seeing him get ragged all and thrown around quite as much.
0: You're breaking Mike's heart right yeah, now, I'm a Ryan. former, a former Golden Domer, a, a Notre Dame alum. You should have seen Mike with Brady Quinn at the combine. By the way, it was honestly absurd. These two just uh, chopping Brady it up, talking about intramural basketball. At a certain point, uh, it was absurd. I will say,
1: Aquara though, the inconsistency is worrisome because he does play high, and, and it, like you'll see the flashes. Like he has bull rush like Mikay Becton, he bull rush Isaiah Wilson. Like those guys are hundred pounds heavier than him, so you see the. Flashes but why it doesn't Happen every play is kind of This the scary part with Aquara I
0: will say let's jump To Jalen Rager where are you With him right now
2: yeah Rager So Rager is an interesting One he he was just kind of on the verge of my top fifty. I thought for sure he was going to run in the 4-3. I was kind of shocked. Yeah. you know it's it's crazy, right? At the way he runs like four four seven or something like yeah. that. Yeah,
0: yeah. Uh, we think we put on. He, we, we think he put on bad weight. I mean, because I mean, we it's thought he team. was a. Minor. Yeah, we thought he, he was a three guy. He got out. He couldn't
2: maintain it. Yeah, and I had talked to the folks. You know, I had talked to the folks who had been training him and said that when he came in there, he was he was already running. You know, low four four, high four three, like early on in the training process, which normally those guys get faster. Um, so I was shocked he ran 447. I, I, do agree. I thought he was carrying a little bit of extra weight. I thought his start was good. He just didn't maintain it. Mm-hmm. Um, he, to me, I just, the drops, and you can, you guys will have the drop percentage in front of you, I'm sure. The drop percentage is pretty high with him. Um, that was a little bit of a concern there. He, he's somebody that can beat press with quicks. Um, I like the fact you can use him on the fly sweep stuff, double moves. He's elusive after the catch. He wins over the top. Um, But to me, the only issue I had was just I wanted to be a little bit more consistent with his hands. So when I get somebody that's not six feet tall that that has some drops, um, you know, that puts him right outside my 50. He's the third receiver that's outside my 50, if that makes any sense. So I have Hamler, Mm -hmm. and Hamler and Michael Pittman are the two that are just ahead of him, outside my fifty, then he's right there. Michael
0: That's Pittman, two. talk about a guy who has the opposite of that problem. He's got some hands on him. I think he only has three drops in his entire career at USC. That guy's got some stupid yeah,
1: hands. sixteen drops on one hundred sixty three catchable, which is like around ten yeah. percent. which is borderline. That's it. All right. La- so la- what is that? What
2: is that footage drop? Or, what is that footage drop percentage? that on
1: this year? Just, just under ten oh. percent, so it's like nine point eight or something. Yeah, like and
0: that, we, we is, always say yeah. when you get a, like above that nine and a half around into 10. the ten percent range, is when it does become a concern, yeah. something that you'll see. Kind of translate to the NFL. Last guy on the Danny's takes here is Jordan Elliott. We see this guy's a first-round player, the Missouri defensive tackle. He's, he earned very high grades for us this past year. Was the highest grade defensive tackle in college football. I know. I know Bucky has had him in his top five defensive tackles. Not in your yep. top fifty. Where are you with Jordan Elliott? He's so
2: he's my top defensive tackle outside of my. 50. Nice. So he'll be when the, when my list comes out. He'll be between fifty and sixty. Um, Look, the stuff I like about him, you'll see some long arm. You'll see some of that power with that. He's really good on games. Um, he's got a nice swim move. Uh, I like him, you know, being able to stack single blocks is fine there. I just, to me, against doubles, he got destroyed. Yeah. And the biggest thing for me was just effort. I just wanted to see a little more consistent effort. And that's what me and Bucky disagree on that. I think he, 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 feels he plays really hard. Um, I, didn't, I did not see all out, you know, balls to the wall effort. So that's, that's one of the reasons they kept him out of my top 50. Uh, that being said, I mean, I have a good grade on him. Um, He's a second-round player to me. Mm-hmm.
1: All right. Final question here. Guys in this class, one or two names that maybe, maybe aren't getting top five, top ten love, but you would stand on a table and say, we need this guy in our locker room. He's the real deal.
2: Ooh, that's a good one. I, to me, I'm giving me like the ultra ultra tough competitive guys, and so like Brandon Ayuk from Arizona State fits that, that mold for me. Okay. Like what he does with the ball in his hands, just refusing to be tackled. Um, he's just so competitive. He's so tough. Um, he has return value, which has always been a great sign for these wide outs. You know, when you've got some some history there, it kind of uh, foretells what you can do after the catch. So he'd be one. Uh, that I'm a big fan of. That I'm really high on. Um, trying to think of other guys, kind of outside that top range, that would be interesting. I'm a Ross Blacklock guy. Oh yeah, I, 19. I, I, look, I know the Achilles. Yeah, I, I know he has the Achilles, but uh, you know, from 18. But man, he's he's twitched up. It was funny. I think I right? told that story. Or no. Yeah, no. I, yeah. Yeah, so I, yeah, I have not returned to Ross Blackwell on form <laughs> so uh, I'm still <laughs> waiting on that. It's only been like five years. I'm hoping about five years from now I'll be, uh, I'll be feeling better. Uh, but he was a funny one because I just hadn't heard any, like a lot of buzz about him. Uh, and so when I watched him, I think I just had no expectations now. It's like you're kind of going through this list of D tackles and I, this guy just jumped off the screen. I was like, whoa, this dude's dynamic. Like, uh, he's got some serious twitch and power and jolts dudes. TCU
0: finds those guys. TCU finds those guys. Ben Banagoo, Blacklock, Jeff Gladney's a pretty good athlete. I mean, Rager. They they find some athletes at TCU,
2: and they're tough. Like that's the Gary Patterson program. Like all those kids are tough. Uh, Gladney, yeah, he's 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 another one that I really really like, man. But but the uh, the thing on Blacklock. So I tweet out a couple videos, and then uh, I said I'm like I'd like to nominate my you know myself to run for president of the Ross Blacklock (laughs) fan club. And within like uh within I don't know, five minutes, I get a text from an NFL head coach with my tweet attached and he wrote underneath that, You're too late. Oh, no. So <laughs> I just I thought that was pretty funny. Like he's yeah, he's got he's got a sponsor out there. So if he gets picked by that team, I'll out him and I'll say who it was that he sent me that. Mm-hmm. Um, but no, he's 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 a really good player. And like we we talk about him on Twitter all the time, but the little corner from uh uh from LaTeX is just so to watch. He's yeah. just Oh, he's got such good ball skills, and he's just so tough. And I think it's like one of the first plays of the Texas game. He just jumps Colin Johnson, and he looks like David versus Goliath. <laughs> he jumps him at the line of scrimmage, and I was like, "Whoa!" Like this dude's got he's got a little edge to him. So and he's graded he really, really, really well for us. Robertson graded really, really well for us. He, he's probably gonna run in the four fives, you know. I hope he runs. In, I hope he doesn't run the four sixes. But the production, yeah, I can see how you guys would would love the production. Get like what fourteen career picks or something like yeah. that. Uh, fourteen completions. He just pull he he pulls the trigger. Like I was in Baltimore when we had a guy Jim Leonard, who was you know what did he the uh, at Wisconsin? I think it's the D.C. at Wisconsin. Yeah. But he was that same type of just undersized bulldog, like just a you know you just want one of those guys on your team. So, uh, yeah, he's, he's one I'm a
1: fan of. Jim Leonard won the Wisconsin dunk contest
0: back in the day. Really? He could fly. Yeah. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. Fantastic stuff, DJ. We what really – uh, oh, I didn't hear that one.
2: You got you to tell
0: me that. Oh, Jim Leonard won the Wisconsin dunk contest apparently. back in the day. Yeah. 5'8". Oh! I didn't know nugget. that. Yeah. Wow. Incredible. Well, really appreciate you coming on, That's DJ. This, this has been fantastic. Really appreciate you coming on 2 for 1 Drafts. We're going to have to get you on either closer to the draft or soon after because we need more of these takes. Really appreciate
2: it. No, uh, you guys do a great job, man. It's uh, it's uh, it's such a it's such a cool service that you guys provide, and uh, it's been really really helpful for me. and um, Look forward to keeping up this relationship and talking to talk you guys down the road. Absolutely,
0: appreciate, appreciate the kind said. words. Impressive, impressive stuff from Daniel Jeremiah. It was great to have him on. Finally, have him on the podcast. You're impressed, like that's DJ all the time. Like the dude's a
1: pro's pro. Uh, I, I thought the the backstories were very interesting. Yes. about how he got in in the tribe in the early days of Twitter, because <laughs> I remember, you know, being on Twitter back then. I remember, you know, wake up every morning in college first thing I do is check Twitter before you go to bed. Last thing you do is check Twitter. Yeah. And like following, you still do that. Account, are you following, like, <laughs> hey, yeah. Probably still do that. But, and just like, it was so different in my mind, you know, Twitter back then, just mm-hmm. like the way interactions were and RTs and that sort of like, it was just such a different atmosphere. And it really was like, you mentioned like a tribe, like, he probably had you know five to ten thousand followers, and that felt like a lot of people. Wow, you know, back then, yeah, which is yeah. I, wild, I thought wild, wild his less. takes
0: on the running backs too. Like he was saying, you know, obviously doesn't you know he's still in the position to draft the running back in the first round, but he was saying some of these guys are just better football players than the other players available. I think. He maybe has room to grow factoring in positional (laughs) value. I don't know. I think positional value, I think if you look at all the way on the far right of positional value, you get the analytics mock draft, where there's not a single interior defensive lineman, no interior offensive lineman, drafting the first round, no running backs, obviously. That's where you get. But I think there is this sweet spot maybe between where you are and where George and Eric are with positional value, where you aren't taking certain positions, regardless of how good this football player is in the first round.
1: And a lot of their takes, a lot of the analytics takes, are based off of, you know, Less than optimal decision making at the NFL level. Like, uh, drafting a running back in the first round makes you give them more carries. Well, and makes you, uh, you know, want to feature them more. Well, you can draft a running back who's, you know, has a diverse. You can draft a DeAndre Swift and Georgia running back mm-hmm. and utilize him in a role that's actually valuable in terms of throwing him the ball down the football field, yeah. getting him matched up, using him as a matchup weapon because of how good he is as a receiver. I was impressed that and, DJ
0: did have DeAndre Swift and Clyde Edward T. as these two, hi. like, top 30 picks because and, those guys are going to offer the most of any receiver. running backs in this class as receivers. Yes. And, and so.
1: That that to me was interesting, or it's like is a part of the conversation that I think gets lost on the analytic side of things because most teams that are going to draft a running back are going to use them like Zeke Kelly and mm-hmm. just feed them, but yeah. feed them, you know, uh, and try to do this run heavy offense when that's not going to be in your best interest. But I do think it, it's one of you know five positions you can throw to. Did DJ
0: play. bring Aquara you know? down for you? Did he bring oh, him down for you? I don't
1: know. No.
0: <laughs> I'm staying Never. with
1: it. I go. He's higher now on my board.
0: Oh, wow. I, Here I'd we go. Doubling way. down. <laughs> you just love to see it. Well, uh, really appreciate you guys listening to the 2 for 1 Drafts podcast, the Dan Jeremiah interview, and the off-ball linebacker interview. Tune in next time for 2 for 1 Drafts.